I want you to know this straight up this morning, family. I'm preaching to me today. This is for me. So y'all can take a nap or go on home if you want to, but this sermon's for me, all right? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait upon the Lord shall have their strength renewed. They shall soar like wings of eagle. They shall run and not go weary. They shall walk and not be faint. We, get, we got home from vacation a week ago yesterday, and we got home late Saturday night, and we unpacked a little bit, and then we ran into town to get some milk and bread, because that's what you do after vacation. And while we were in town, somebody broke into our house. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, we're gone a week, and nobody bothers a thing. We come home, we're gone an hour, somebody breaks into our house. And, and I was livid. And here's the bizarre thing. They didn't take anything but a cake out of the refrigerator. They left a note because they tore our front door up. And they said, we're so sorry, we feel so bad, we broke your front door that we didn't take anything except your cake. My cake was missing. I told Angie, I'm telling you, thieves have stole our gas, they have stole our car, they have stole our money, but this one takes the cake. (laughs) I'll see myself out, okay? (laughs) You guys missed me, didn't you? Yeah, it's good to be back, man. I missed you guys. It's good to be back home. Um, That didn't really happen, obviously. So I do have an important question I want to start with this morning, and that is this. Do you ever feel like God's missing? You ever feel that way? I mean, I know we know that he's not, that he's always present. But aren't there times in your life when the, 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 the sense of his absence is overwhelming? I mean, you know in your heart he's there, but in your mind it feels like he's miles away someplace. And you know when that happens the most, it seems, is when we're in a time of waiting. Like right now. We're waiting. What's next? I mean, come on, is this all going to get all right? Things going to get all right again or things going to get worse again? Is this apocalyptic? Is this the end of the world? I mean, who knows? We're in this waiting time. By the way, I prayed about this coming in here and asked God if I should do this. Kind of got the sense I should, so this does not count against my preaching time, all right? Family, we have got to be gentle in our responses with each other, with other people, I went up and played golf with some friends from my home church in Plainfield last week. I hadn't seen for a long time. And one of them was talking to me. He'd gotten a fight with his brother about President Trump. He's taken his brother off his contact list. He won't speak to him anymore. Who won that argument? Did Donald Trump win that argument? He doesn't even know those people. The enemy of our soul won that argument. I talked to a brother in this church just last week who got into an argument with his sister about Black Lives Matter. These are all huge subjects, okay? Politics and Black Lives Matters and COVID. They got into such a knockdown drag out when the fight was over. His sister said this to him, you are dead to me over an argument. Who won that argument? The enemy of our soul. Gentle with your responses to each other, especially in the body. It's a whole lot more important to have a relationship than it is to be right. And we can be right anyway. All right, soapbox over. It's hard to wait. We're in a waiting period. But what happens when we ask God for something specific? We're in a situation and we don't get an answer. You know, we've, uh, we've been waiting a long time for a Christian mate, still single. Waiting a long time for the right job opportunity, still don't have one. Waiting for the marriage to get better. Waiting for the prodigal child to come home. Waiting for somebody in your house to get to, get to feeling better, to be called home. And it's like we're calling God, we're calling heaven, and all we're getting is voicemail, and we can't wait for him to get his voicemail, check it, and get back with us. Anybody feel that way? 
If you're feeling that way right now, you're in good company because God's waiting room is always full. The Bible is full of people that were waiting on God for something. In fact, the Bible says that's the most common pain of God's people is waiting. Now, there's a couple kind of waiters that are talked about most in the Bible. And the first kind are people that were waiting on a specific promise from God. And, of course, a classic example of that would be Abraham and Sarah. God promised them a son. But you know they waited 25 years for that? 25 years. Most of us can't wait 25 minutes. How about King David? He was anointed very young age to be king years and years before he sat on the throne. He went through a lot of turmoil. The disciples were told by Jesus, I want you to go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. They had no idea how long they were going to have to wait. A couple hours, a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, but they waited. And there's a sense in which everybody in this room who calls himself a Christian is on that list. Because we've all been given a promise. There's a whole lot more than what we see coming for you and I. That Christ is going to come back and get us someday. It's a great promise, but we're still waiting. <laughs> Nothing's happened. We're just still waiting. There's another group of waiters in the Bible, and those are the people that waited with no specific promise. Nothing to hold on to, nothing to encourage them. They just waited. Uh, Joseph's a good example of that. He got thrown into prison in Egypt. He had no promise from God he'd ever get out of there. As far as he was concerned, he was going to rot in jail. Hannah went down to the tabernacle day after day after day without any hope or any promise that she was going to have a baby. Nehemiah saw the walls of, Jer of Jerusalem come down. He fasted and prayed for weeks and months with, with no promise from God that he was going to get to do anything about it. Zachariah and Elizabeth, a godly priest and his wife, uh, they waited with no hope they were going to have a son. Mary and Martha waited with no hope that Lazarus was going to be a okay. You see it over and over again. We just preached about Paul three weeks ago waiting in prison. He didn't know if he was ever going to get out. And from a human standpoint, we're thinking, what a waste. I mean, think what Paul could have been doing. He could have been planting more churches. He could have been you know, raising up more elders. He could have been writing more New Testament. But here he is, stuck in prison. And my point is, it's hard enough to wait on God when you have a, a specific promise from Him. But what, what happens when you don't? What happens when there's no assurance at all that this will ever change? What happens when we think we might have to wait forever? I mean, we, we hate that. It's hard on us, tough. Because we don't like to wait. I don't even like to wait for the stoplight to turn green, let alone wait on a promise from God. It's like, like Richard Blackheader several years, been many years ago, I think it was Eric's second sermon. He, he was not always the powerhouse in the pulpit he is now, okay? Him and I both had starts, and we, in the beginning, we rambled on and on. And in this particular sermon, Eric was rambling on and on and on, and Richie got up and walked out in the middle of the sermon. And we had board meeting Thursday, and Eric said, Richie, why'd you leave? I mean, that's kind of rude. And Richard said, I went to get a haircut. And he said, a haircut? Why didn't you get a haircut before I started preaching? He said, I didn't need a haircut before you started preaching. But, you know, that's just us. You know what I'm talking about? We can't stand to wait on anything. If the sermon's too long, it's like, when's he going to quit? How much longer have we got to wait for our table? You know, when's the pizza going to be ready? It's hard for us to wait. What are we going to do when God tells us to wait? First thing we need to understand is just because we're waiting doesn't mean God's upset with us. I, I think we need to get that because I think sometimes we think God must be mad at us because we're having to wait. Most of the time that's not true. None of the people on the list I just talked about was God upset with. There was something else going on. I'll give an example. Uh, King David, he wanted so bad to build a temple, remember? But God said, no, you have to wait for your son. You're not, you don't get to build a temple. Your son's going to build a temple. 
And then when the temple did get built, this is what Solomon said in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 7. He said, My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord. But the Lord said to my father David, Because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well. You, you did well, he said, to have it in your heart. Nevertheless, you're not the one to build a temple, but your son, he's the one who will build a temple for my name. So let's get a little application for us. We're waiting for the child. We're waiting for the job. We're waiting for the Christian mate. We're, we're waiting to get to retire. We're, we're waiting to get a new church built. God says while we're waiting, you did well to have it in your heart. It's good for you to have that in your heart. It's okay to ask. Why? Because you can ask God for anything. It's good to have it in your heart. And just because we've got to wait doesn't mean God's upset with us. Somebody says, well, then why do I have to wait? I mean, come on, if God can create all this in six days, why do I have to wait? That's a real good question. You're probably not going to like my answer. Most of God's delays have to do with growing you and I up. Because he's a whole lot more interested in growing us up than making us happy. Three ways to grow in waiting. So you can start the points now. Here's point number one. Waiting renews our strength. Family, i got to remind you, you and I are not the Energizer bunnies. Our batteries need recharged, our tanks need refilled, and waiting just does that for us. I mean, come on, it just does. I mean, as bad as this COVID thing's been, it's caused a lot of people to slow down. Those who wait upon the Lord will have their strength renewed. They'll soar like wings of eagle. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. And I'm going to admit to you personally, I've learned this the hard way over and over and over again, and I'm learning it again right now. We wait on him. We ask for his direction. I've learned over the years that it's the difference between spitting into the wind and spitting with the wind. One of them works real good. The other one's pretty messy. You know what I'm talking about? When I first started in the ministry, I was exhausted. I'm not talking about tired. I was exhausted. You can talk to Angie about it. I almost burn out at the very beginning. And there's nothing uglier than a 26-year-old burnout minister. You know what the problem was? The problem was I'd had this wonderful prayer life, and I started into the ministry, and man, I didn't have time to pray anymore. I had things I had to get done. You know what I mean? I'm jumping right in there. I, I, I got to get it done. I'm a new minister, and I got stuff I get it done, so I just walked out there and did it. That doesn't work out very well. It's better to wait on God. You say, if you wait on God, aren't you wasting time? No, you're, you're saving time. Because you wait on His directions, all of a sudden, all the resources become available to do what He told you He wants you to do. It's renewing. It renews our strength. Waiting, number two, refines our character. Listen to me, God loves us enough to grow us up. He loves us enough not to give us everything we want the minute we want it. And we should have learned that as parents. I said we should have. Uh, Angie and I decided early on, 36 years ago before we even started having kids, that when we had kids, we weren't going to give them everything they wanted the minute they wanted them. My kids did not believe in the... Um, delay of gratification principle. Most kids don't. If my kids had had their way that we had Christmas before Thanksgiving. But we decided that we weren't going to give them everything they wanted the minute they wanted it because that would make them temporarily happy and permanently immature. And so we didn't do it. I'm going to be real honest with you. It's a whole lot harder as a grandparent. And I'm not very good at it at all. And after this week, I've repented and I'm going to try to do something about it. Because the tool in our toolbox to raise our children and grandchildren is to make them wait because that grows them up. And most of us, let's be honest, have that tool in the toolbox. 
We give them a phone when they want it. We give them a hoverboard when they want it. We've got to give them what they want when they want it, and that does not do them any good at all. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. We can rejoice too, Paul says, when we run into problems and trials, for we know they're good for us. They help us learn to be patient, and patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more. Isn't that good? Listen, character and trusting, that's what we want. And the best way to get that done is to learn patience. And how are we going to learn patience if we get everything we want every time we ask for it? I had a friend at work several years ago at IPL, and they spent thousands of dollars and a lot of time in a surgery trying to have a baby. Some of you have been there. And the doctors told him, this is not going to happen, pal. And he said, you can't imagine the frustration behind wanting something that bad and not being able to manipulate anything to get it done. Now, the, the best part of the story is that you fast forward now years later, they got three kids and several grandkids. And they had the first one by way of this real expensive surgery. And then they started to go through it again, and she got pregnant naturally. And then she got pregnant naturally again. And I kidded him, and I said, once you got that faucet turned on, you could get it turned off. And we'd laugh a little bit. And then he'd stop laughing, and he'd say, you know what? All this waiting has taught me that kids aren't products. They're precious gifts. And he'd say, all this waiting has made me a better dad. Not a perfect dad, but a better dad because families are precious. And, and I'm just reminding you the truth, family. God is a whole lot more interested in growing you and I up than he has given us everything we want every time we ask for it. In her book, Adventures in Prayer, Catherine Marshall says it like this. Waiting, she says, seems to be kind of an acted-out prayer that requires more often, uh, um, an honored more often than I could ever imagine until I saw the remarkable faith muscles that waiting develops. For isn't it true, she says, that waiting demands patience, persistence, trust, expectancies, all the qualities we're continually asking God to give us in the first place. So if you're in God's waiting room right now for any reason, or just because of all this reason, Cheer up. He's just doing what you ask him to do. You ask him to become a better Christian, he's just doing it. He's growing you up. You're waiting anyway. You can't change it. You might as well learn from it. Number three, waiting refocuses our desires. I mean, this is just so true. Haven't you noticed by now that most of the time the things we think we want, when we get them, we didn't want it anyway? I mean, that's nothing, nothing more true than when we take Christy to go get ice cream. Am I right, Jackie? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's Jiffy Treat. It doesn't matter if it's a Dairy Queen, the chocolate mousse. Christy gets something, and then she eats two or three bites of it, and she decides she wants something else. You know what I mean? And that's all of us. You say, how do you know it's me? Just go home today and look in your garage. Go look in your shed. Go look in your closet. They're filled with things that you and I just thought we had to have, and we never use them. You know why that is? Because we really don't know what we want anyway. We're like that couple... They're, they're watching TV, and he gets up to go in the kitchen. He says, I'm going to get a bowl of ice cream. You want some? She said, yeah, honey, I'll take vanilla with chocolate syrup. Write it down, old man, because you're really getting forgetful. He said, I'm not writing that down. He came back about 15 minutes with a plate of scrambled eggs. She said, see what I mean? You brought eggs and forgot the bacon. You know, my point is, you know, we don't even remember sometimes what we want. And isn't it also true that sometimes we're thankful to God that he didn't give us something we asked for to begin with, or at least he didn't give it to us when we asked him for it? Because sometimes waiting is better anyway. And so sometimes when God asks us to wait, what he's trying to do is mesh our desires up with his desires, because his desires are much better than ours anyway. Listen to me very carefully. God's desire for you is never second best, ever always first. And his timing's always perfect. 
And so the next time you get a wait a minute from heaven, don't mistake that for a busy, unconcerned, distant God brushing you off. That is a loving, heavenly Father who's telling you, I want you to wait until your desires major up with my desires, and then you're not going to believe what's coming. James chapter 5, verse 11, the Bible says, you've heard about Job's patience, and you know the Lord's purpose for him. You know the Lord is full of mercy, and it is kind. I mean, come on, church, don't we know that he's full of mercy and kind? Doesn't he show that to us every day? Yeah, yeah. So wait on him. I'm preaching to me, I'm telling you. Wait on him, Jim Kane. I know being in God's waiting room is not a good place to be. We don't like it. If you're not in it now, you will be. And if you're in it now, you will be in it again. <laughs> so learn from it. Pray over it. Let him teach you and develop you. That's what he wants to do. Three quick tips on how to do that, and they're quick. And then we're going to take communion and let the Holy Spirit work with us as we wait on him. Okay, here's tip number one. You need to wait with your spiritual eyes open. Guard yourself on this one, folks. He's eating me up with this one. When we're waiting, it is a breeding ground for impatience and cynicism and, and bitterness and questioning. Because when you're waiting for whatever it is you're asking God to give, you're looking around, everybody else is getting it. It's tough. He got a job. She got pregnant. They, 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 they got together. He got to retire. They got to knew this. They got to knew that. My buddy that I talked about earlier, he said one of the toughest things that would happen to them, they'd go to the doctor and they'd be waiting and the, somebody would come out to, to give the, the results to some gal and say, well, it's true, you're pregnant. And she'd say, oh, I was afraid of that. He said, he just eat me up. Just seeing them moaning and groaning over a gift that they would have given anything to get. Because while you and I are waiting for what God wants, we're looking around and seeing everybody else getting it. How do we fix that? Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up. Don't miss the grace of God. Don't miss it. If you miss it. Several years ago, it was on a Thursday, and uh, we were in Florida. Ashley was eight years old. And I promised them we'd go miniature golf. Kids all love miniature golf on vacation. Here's what we did Thursday morning. We got up, went for a swim in the pool. Then we walked on the beach. Then we drove to Panama City, rented a pontoon boat, took it out to Shell Island, snorkeled. On the way back, we had Ken and Claudia and their kids with us. We fished, caught 50 bluefish, hand-fed them to the dolphins, which is against the law. We didn't know that then. And it came back. We got back to the hotel, took another swim, got dressed, went in town and ate, went out to eat. Then we went to an arcade and played, and then we stopped and had ice cream, and we got back to the hotel, and it was too late to miniature golf, and Ashley was livid with me that I broke my promise. She missed the grace of Thursday because she didn't get to miniature golf. She, she was eight years old. I want to know what my excuse is. What's your excuse? Don't miss the grace of God. He is showering us with blessings every single day. And if we focus on those, oh my goodness, but if we miss it, bitterness is right at the door. Here's number two very quickly. Don't wait by yourself. Make sure you wait in a crowd, man. That's what this church is all about. 
Uh, it's terrible and dangerous to wait alone. Have you ever been stuck in an airport waiting on your flight? <laughs> that happened to us on our trip to Argentina. Okay, so we had a nasty flight. looked like we weren't going to live anyway. That's a whole other story I'll tell you some other time. But we got the broken down plane landed, and we were stuck in the airport from 10 o'clock that night till 10 o'clock the next morning. You know what got me through that? My church family. We had a blast. We prayed together. We ate together. We played cards together. We made fun of Eric together. We burned my shoes. Remember, I bought $6.50 shoes from Walmart. They were plastic, and my feet snuck so bad. You couldn't sit next to me. We had a ball. Don't waste that. This church, man, don't waste that. Psalm 33:20 says, we wait in hope for the Lord. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our hope and our shield. Our hope and our shield. Don't wait alone. If you're in God's waiting room right now, call one of us. Let us go with you. It could be some of us have been in that same waiting room, and we can walk you through it, but don't do it alone. I've been involved with the church since I was old enough to know, and I've never seen a group of people like this. Don't waste it. This is a wonderful place. And then one more thing. And this one's the hardest one. Make sure you don't jump out ahead of him. Wait on the Lord. I, was, uh, I got locked out of the house. It was, I was in youth group, so it's been years ago. And when I got home, I called my mom and dad. They were patting BS, just a friend of theirs. No cell phones back then. So I called them up. My grandma and grandpa lived next door. I went next door and called them. I said, Dad, I'm locked out of the house. He said, we're finishing up. Just wait. I'll be home pretty soon. Well, I got the idea. I could just break in the front window if I could just get the screen out. So I took a a butter knife from my grandma's house and went over. I broke the screen. I knocked the window off the track. I pulled the curtains down. I broke a lamp and cut my arm. And I did all of that about 30 seconds before my dad drove up the driveway. I should have waited. Wait on the Father, church. He knows what's going on here. You said, I don't know what you're saying, preacher. We've got to wait in when there's nothing else we can do. Oh, yes, there is. And I've done it, and so have you. You can jump on out ahead of him. I've seen it thousands of times. Waiting on a Christian mate, you think you've waited too long, so you just marry somebody else. And then you spend the rest of your life praying about it, ask God to bless it. Trying to go into business with somebody, you're waiting God to show you which direction, what to do, but you just can't wait anymore, so you jump in with somebody else, and, and now you're begging God to bless it and fix it. Wait on him. He knows what's going on. The best place to do that is right here at this table. I know you think I'm just bringing it to the table. Part of it is, but part of it isn't. This is the place to be. I, I, I came over and get coffee. Sarah, you make good coffee. So I came over to get my coffee, and there people are just getting here, just a couple people. And I'm walking back across the parking lot to go work on my sermon this morning, and God and I have been doing this sunrise thing for a while. I don't know. It's just him and me, but it was just Amazing. Sunbeams coming out all at the top and the bottom and the sides. And I, I needed to get on my sermon. Some of you say, yeah, you did. But anyway, um, I just went to my knees. And the presence of God just, just, just overwhelms you. I'm preaching to the choir. You know what I'm talking about. Don't waste that. Come up here today and get in his presence. Just wait on him. Let him talk to you about things. It's a broken body in the shed blood of Jesus right here at this table. Take your time. We're going to sing three songs. Come up here if you want to. I mean, you can come up here and social distance. Let's use the altar. When we're done this morning, I'm going to do what I did when we started. I'll put my mask on, Angie's orders, and also the counties. And then I'll be out front and uh, greet you any way you want to. Let me pray. 
Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much that we can count on you. We do. We trust you. When we're together like this and we're reading the Bible together and singing these praises, it's easy for us to trust you, to know you got this all worked out. But we're going to leave here. We're going to park company. We're going to go home. And all the stuff's going to come flooding again. I'm asking through the powerful name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, beginning with the one who speaks, that you'll remind us that you have this. And all we have to do is wait and watch to stay plugged in of the true vine of Israel. Thank you for this. Praise you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.